Hey there, thanks for tuning in. I have some really, really exciting news. We just launched our Patreon page. And as a Patreon contributor, we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. You'll get early access to PCC merch and you'll be able to submit fan questions for us to ask the upcoming guests in the interviews. Ultimately, this podcast is a volunteer-run passion project and every single dollar contributed will be directly reinvested back into the podcast. There'll be a Patreon sign-up link in the description. I hope you enjoy the episode. This is Postico Chronicles, and I'm your host, Matt Falk. Hello, Postico Chronicle listeners. Our guest today is Matthew Sewick, the founder and head financial literacy coach of the Friendly Financial Coach and the host of the podcast, The Simple Money Podcast. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to be on our show. Uh, I'm particularly excited uh, about this one, personal finance. I'm a bit of a nerd myself about like researching all of this. Can you tell us a bit about your business, uh, The Friendly Financial Coach, and uh, a bit about your podcast? Absolutely, yeah. So The Friendly Financial Coach is a financial education and coaching business. And what this really means is that I help individuals and families navigate their personal finances. Um, you know, essentially they have some kind of a financial goal that they want to to get to, and I really help them along that journey. And the central purpose of what I do is really to help individuals gain financial empowerment. So really to understand the process and also to help them achieve those specific goals that are important to them, you know, such as buying a home, paying off debt, planning for retirement, that kind of stuff. And all sessions are presented in an unbiased manner. Um, so you don't have to worry about me selling any kind of financial product to you. Yeah, that leads to my next question, really. Like, what is a financial coach and what, what do you do that is different from a financial advisor or investment advisor or financial planner? I'm not really sure about the difference between any of those, but could you explain? Yeah, absolutely. So there's actually quite a few differences between what I do and, you know, what the, the stereotypical financial advisor does. And I would say probably the biggest is the way that, you know, the information's passed on to the people that they're helping. So if you ever go to a financial advisor or, you know, financial planner, very often, you know, you meet with them and they just kind of tell you what to do. And, you know, they'll probably also, you know, sell some type of a fund to you as well. Now, what I do is I actually walk through the process with individuals. So, you know, instead of just telling someone to do something, we actually walk through and look at all the different options that are available to them. And the goal really is to, you know, help the individual to, to understand the process and really to educate them, uh, educate them along the way and also, you know, help achieve that financial goal that they want to achieve. Just so that I get a, a bit of a clearer mind about the specific uh, differentiation. So like a financial advisor would be providing some fund or that you should invest in. But what you were talking about is reaching financial goals. So would that be, uh, could you give, I guess, something a little bit more specific about like, does that have to do with portfolio management or is that more of a, from a personal finance angle? Yeah. So, I mean, when I would meet with someone, we would talk about their financial goals and we would determine, you know, very often there's one specifically that we would focus on. 
And then we would look at actually how, like how to achieve that. So, you know, for example, if someone's looking at buying a home, you know, we would talk about, you know, the process of actually how much you'd have to put aside for a down payment to understand, you know, all the upfront costs, that kind of stuff that they would, uh, you know, need to plan for and really just walk through that together. Because I know that a lot of times these processes can be really confusing. And, you know, I, I try to, you know, I guess, uh, bring light to all those kind of dark corners that, you know, people come across and, you know, unfortunately not always gets discussed. That was very poetic, bringing light to all those dark corners of the <laughs> of the financial <laughs> world. I like that. Uh, what inspired you to start your own business and podcast? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a bit of a story, so just bear with me. No, take um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, you know, the most important thing really to, you know, that really drives me is really helping people to understand and to, to navigate their, their personal finances. That's kind of my, my central goal and really everything's based around that. But I've been in the financial industry for, for over 15 years. Um, I'm actually at a point where I don't even bother keeping track of it anymore. <laughs> it's kind of mm. depressing when you look at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's been a while. And, you know, before I started my own business, I worked as a financial service representative at a local bank branch for, uh, for one of the large banks. And this is essentially, you know, who you would speak to if you had any questions about, you know, getting a mortgage or looking at saving for a child's education. And you walk into a bank, they would send you towards someone like me. And over time, I became a little bit annoyed with the sales practices that were being implemented. Uh, I always felt like there was a tension between, you know, offering the best advice and, you know, selling a product that that makes a profit for the bank. So I always noticed that there was a was a tension there. And, you know, over time, that kind of rubbed off the, the wrong way on me. And then in early 2013, I decided really to to jump ship to to start my own business to, you know, educate people and, you know, kind of help them in a in an unbiased fashion. And, you know, when it comes to the podcast, which is really a big thing of what I do right now, too, it also came from a place of love, as I'm sure this podcast has. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm a humongous fan of podcasts and I've been listening to them probably for like over a decade. And, you know, we all have those spots where we listen to them. Some people listen to it when they're driving. Me, I listen to it when I when I go running and I actually had trained for marathons and stuff like that, too. So I have a lot of time to listen to them. And, uh, you know, I love them. And one of the things that I noticed in, you know, the Canada, the Canadian uh, financial, like personal finance uh, sector is that there's very few podcasts that are out there. And the ones that were out there were very long format. So, you know, I, I noticed an opportunity here and I decided to do, you know, mainly Canadian content that was presented in shorter episodes. I, I have to say that when I came across your podcast and I just came across it, like looking on Spotify. Uh, it was such a breath of fresh air to find short-term format of uh, Canadian-specific rather than going through an American pod personal finance podcast about like 401ks that I don't, that doesn't apply to me at all or like <laughs> a W8 form that like doesn't really apply at all. So like I'm a huge fan, uh, really enjoy, uh, I think you really filled a niche there uh, and I think everyone should check it out. I think uh, when you were talking about when you were working in the bank, you were saying that you felt conflicted about, I think, part of the sales and part of the, I guess, providing, I guess, advice. What do you think consumers who put a lot of their money and just saved it uh, and listened to exactly like what a, let's say, like a, uh, I guess, like a financial services 
provider? Is that what you, what you what you said? Uh, yeah, I guess that would work. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I forgot the specific <laughs> term. But what would you say to someone who trusts basically uh, and has never really thought about it and has just set their their money aside with their bank? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's important to say that there are some incredible financial planners and advisors out there. So you know, there are a lot of people that are doing really good work out there. But what I would say is that it's always healthy to, you know, kind of look outside the box that you're that you're in. I find that very often people, you know, they'll they'll stick with one major bank and they kind of just, you know, stick with that brand and they don't really look outside of those corners. So, you know, having a look at seeing what else is on the market is always a good idea. Especially now, there's so many new products that have, you know, entered the marketplace in the last five, 10 years, you know, like um, the growing usage of ETFs, like robo advisors, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's it's very, you know, it's I think a lot of people would get a lot of benefit from from seeing what other providers there are out there, because a lot of these services can save the individual a lot of money in charges. Yeah, on your website, uh we found uh, this one description and it said that born out of the belief that personal finance planning should be about helping the individual achieve their financial dreams and not maximizing corporate profits. You left a decade long career as a financial advisor to achieve justice vision. So can you elaborate on what you mean by not maximizing corporate profits? Yeah, so that goes back to the tension that I was talking about. Like I, I've been in the banking machine for, or I was in the banking machine for, for a very long time. And there's always a culture that seems kind of internally split, where you have individuals that really want to do the best thing for clients. But then there's also a very strong push to essentially maximize the profits. And one of the underlying forces behind that are, are the sales targets that have been you know, put in place for, for a lot of the representatives there. And, you know, to kind of give you an example of how kind of crazy they can be, you know, one year we, we hit our targets and then the next year the district manager's like, yeah, we're just going to double them for you. And we're like, okay, mm. <laughs> have fun, I guess. <laughs> um, so, so there's always this divide that that's occurring there. And, you know, over the long period of time that I was there, I, I saw some stuff that, you know, I wasn't very pleased about. And, you know, one of the things that kind of always stuck in my mind was when we went to this quarterly meeting where, you know, they were talking about the results from the district and stuff like that. And one of the things that they said was that, you know, research shows that the more products that a client has, the happier they are. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe they have more products because they're happy or they're because they're happy with the service that they're providing. Mm-hmm. So there's this really weird culture and, you know, there's actually been a lot of exposés uh, based on that. CBC does a really good job with investigating it. Uh, a few years ago, they they did this big, um, I guess, the series based on, you know, what was happening behind the scenes, um, which caused quite a bit of a stir. And um, Marketplace does a great job, too. Um, for anyone that's not familiar, Marketplace is an awesome show. And they actually do like undercover, like stings of like bank branches and they interview people and kind of see what they're supposed to do versus what they're not. I, so, I love uh, CBC marketplace. Uh, so good. It, it makes me so happy that like if anyone from CBC marketplace ever like listens to this, like thank you so much because uh, basically it probably improved like every service 
I ever <laughs> acquired or like ever paid money for. Uh, but yeah, sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, actually, funny, funny story about that. So when I was working at the bank and it's a long time ago and I wasn't really too familiar with Marketplace at the time. But uh, like every morning at the bank, you would you pretty much have to read like internal memos to see like what has changed, what you have to know. Uh, and there was a memo about a recent episode on Marketplace where if anyone asks you any questions about, you know, this, you know, this thing happening in the branch, you have to like respond in this specific way. And this was a memo that was sent all across Canada, every single, you know, representative that worked there. So yeah, they definitely do make an impact. But sorry, I think I interrupted you earlier about uh, your. I think you were talking about uh, the tension you're feeling, or, or, or was that? Uh, did you f- uh, finish your thought? Yeah, I mean that. That's pretty much it. It's just that there's always that that tension that's there, and you know it uh, unfortunately can create a lot of stress with the employees there as well. So it's uh, it's definitely something that's present. And, you know, if you're ever going into a bank, it's always a good idea to to understand that, you know, with the advice that they're giving you just mm-hmm. to, you know, kind of keep that in the back of your mind. How, how do you think Canadians should think about their own personal finances? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very good question. And, you know, one of the things that that I notice is that Canadians will often kind of or I guess a lot pretty much anyone that's dealing with personal finance will uh, will almost feel lost amongst all the information that's out there. And very often I find this is one of the, the first barriers that people come across. Like there's just so much information out there, like from friends, families, neighbors, podcasts, you know, I'm guilty. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to like, you know, see all this information and just freeze, right. And just to, to not do anything. And, you know, as, as most people know that are in personal finance, like time is very valuable because you could be, you know, investing during that time period or, or what so not. So the way that I usually like to help people kind of overcome that impasse is to really understand that, you know, personal finance is called personal for a reason, right? I know it's like super cheesy to say, but it's true. Like your personal finances are essentially focused around like what you want in the future. And that should be the central element that you never really forget. Like you don't want all that other information to, to really kind of wash what you want away. And, you know, we briefly talked about this earlier, but one of the most important things are understanding your financial goals and financial preferences, right? And your financial preferences are essentially like what you want to, to financially achieve in the future, you know, like you know, going for vacation or the lifestyle that you want to live. Um, So those are very, very important. And, you know, these are essentially the destinations that you want to go to. And another really important topic that unfortunately never really gets covered is understanding your financial preferences. And, you know, I I talk to people about this and they don't even know how to answer it because they've never been asked this question before. And this includes things like, you know, how much risk you feel comfortable with. You know, there's certain religious restrictions. Um, Also, you know, ethical choices that you may have behind investments. Like all of these financial preferences are really, really important because if your financial plan um, essentially doesn't harmonize with those, there's going to be consistent friction. And over time, you're just going to you know, bail on that financial plan. So, you know, I always like to tell people just, you know, focus on your financial goals and preferences and every other financial choice that you take should really help get you towards that. What is one of the biggest financial mistakes that you see people making? 
you know, this is probably one of the hardest ones that I had to answer um, because there's so many different things that, you know, that people could either doing wrong or could do better with. And I mean, I think the the biggest one that I think is most relevant now is, is just how people budget. So, you know, we kind of have this belief in society that budgeting is like meticulously writing down every single expense that comes up for the rest of your life. And then once you do that, you'll be financially free. Like for whatever reason, this is kind of like the way that we look at it. Um, I find that's actually not true. I find it's actually very counterproductive to do it because I find that very often people will do that for a little while and they'll burn out and they won't look at their personal finances again. Now, that is definitely helpful. Like doing like writing everything down can be helpful in certain situations when you're trying to like investigate something or if you're trying to figure something out. But in the long run, like it it's not very helpful and I think it doesn't really create a lot of benefits from it. Um, instead, what people should really be doing is, you know, instead of, thinking about what you've spent in the past, think about what you want to spend in the future, right? It's a subtle shift, but, you know, being more assertive of what you want to spend in the future is much more powerful than what you've spent in the past. Because, you know, for example, if you're like, oh, you know, normally I spend $250 on groceries, that's what I've spent the last, you know, couple of years. Instead, look at it, at it as, you know, I want to spend $200 every week in the future for groceries, or at least I'm going to try to do it. And I find that transition is is very powerful, you know, when people, you know, do that, that shift. And, you know, when it comes to reducing expenses, you know, the idea of writing everything down can be a little bit problematic, too, because, you know, very often what I also see, too, is most people's expenses are, are pretty straightforward. Like, they're pretty standard every single month. Like, you have, you know, rent or mortgage doesn't change much. Groceries very often, you know, stays around the same every single month, but very often everyone will have some kind of expense category where there's leakage that's happening. And this is where you should really be focusing your energy. You know, you could very often find the largest savings in this category and directing all your energy will most likely make it successful. Do you think everyone should have a budget? Uh, I mean, it's or like some form of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm sort of biased. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think it's helpful to have, even if it's just to understand where your money's going. So, you know, even if you just look at it once, you like at least you'll know how your money's being directed towards certain different sources. So it allows you to understand your financial situation a bit more. And, you know, if you do have a budget, it also allows you to, you know, to understand how much you could put aside for other financial goals that are really important towards you, right? And if you realize that you're not able to put as much as you expected, then you can start making some other adjustments. What are some red flags uh, of a scam that someone should keep an eye out for today? Oh, there's so many of them. It's exhausting keeping track of it. <laughs> so many of them. It's like, you know, these people that are running these scams, this is their full-time job. It's what they specialize in. And it's, yeah, it, it's it's crazy. And, you know, I I would like to say that there's, you know, some big red flags, but like it's it's different for all the different types of scams that are out there. You know, basically like, there are you know things like spelling errors and stuff like that but it's it's you know it's never perfect so i think it's always a good idea to really keep track of all the you know read about the scams that are out there and you know the way that they're done and then you can start looking at red flags once you understand the process because there are so many different ones out there right now like some of the big ones are like the taxi scams that are occurring sim jacking is a big one phishing like these these are all big things and they all have different red flags 
Um, but an important thing to, to kind of add to that is like, if you ever feel uncomfortable, or if you have any doubt about what's happening, you know, just, just end the call. And if it's real phone back the real number and they could verify whether or not it's true. And you know, all those numbers that say press one or two, those are automatically fake. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah, the I would say the sim jacking scam is probably the one that uh, frightens me the most. It is very frightening, isn't it? I uh, I learned about it on New Year's Day, I think two years ago, and I remember like New Year's Day, like just being like transfixed by like how crazy this scam was. Mm-hmm. According to uh, to one study in 2018 by MNP, uh, two in five Canadians would say that they have a poor knowledge of financial literacy. And also the Financial Planning Standards Council also found in 2018 that money is the biggest source of stress for Canadians. Uh, why do you think this is? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of different reasons why this is occurring. Um, but to me, the biggest reason is just the lack of education for personal finances in our, our institutions. Like, I don't know about you, Matthew, but like when I went to school, like, I don't think I learned anything about personal finance. And then you're, then they're kind of like, here, sign up for OSAP. And you're like, okay. And then you're on campus and they're like, here's a credit card for a water ball. And you're like, no. (laughs) And it's, 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 it's crazy. And unfortunately, like this leads to a lot of negative, you know, repercussions. And basically we just learn finances from our family. And like the people around us and, you know, if they're if they're good role models, then you're very fortunate. But if they're not, then you're going to pick up their bad habits. I, I think uh, if if I guess a I guess an educator of a school, let's say an educator was listening to this right now. What do you think is one of the most important financial uh, personal finance lessons that they should teach the children or like that we should include in our curriculums? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a tough one to answer because the material that you would teach them at all age groups would be different. So I guess what I would say is, you know, find out what would be most applicable for whatever age group that you're teaching and, you know, try to implement it in, you know, as fun of a way as possible to really, you know, get that idea home. And also, you know, don't just teach it one day, you know, try to, you know, reflect back on it occasionally in the future. So these ideas stick with the individual. On that note of people educating themselves, um, Right now, there are currently uh, around 526,000 members of the online community, uh, subreddit Personal Finance Canada. What are your thoughts on Canadians finding information online on social media platforms like TikTok, YouTube, subreddit Wall Street Bets? Uh, do, do you think that people should be concerned about misinformation? So, first of all, I, I think that it's incredible uh, with all these resources that are becoming available. Uh, a lot of these uh, like resources have very very knowledgeable people that are that are giving advice. Uh, however, you do need to you know tread with a little bit of caution. So you know you really kind of have to reflect on you know what we talked about earlier, where like does this make sense for me? Does this help me achieve my fin- financial goals? And does it really meet you know the preferences that I have? Because unfortunately, you know a lot of like the the subreddits and so forth, like a lot of these investments are, are speculation. Like, you know, for example, like the whole GameStop drama, like is definitely entertaining to watch, but like a lot of the people that were doing it weren't even considering it to be investing. They just wanted to stick it to a hedge fund. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they, they were like, they had a different agenda. And, you know, if someone just kind of piggybacked off that, you know, uh, like they, they could have lost a lot of money. Um, 
but yeah, you have to be careful. On that note, like, what are your thoughts on uh, also cryptocurrency? Is do you, do you think that's also a, a, a viable investment opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I think cryptocurrency is really, really cool, and it's definitely here to stay. And we're starting to see more and more, you know, I guess like side products that are coming out of it, like uh, non fungible tokens, which are really cool, where you could, you know, essentially limit the amount of artwork that someone's able to like actually uh, sell. Um, also, I just heard today that they're they're starting to add like non-fungible tokens to, to music as well, which is just incredible. So, you know, cryptocurrency and the technology is, is here to stay and it's changing the market. Um, but with that being said, like you have to be careful with it because there is a lot of speculation that's that's occurring. You know, I find with a lot of the cryptocurrencies, like is is that it's very volatile and the transparency is not as clear as it could be. So, you know, if someone's looking at doing something like that, you know, I tech, I, you know, definitely encourage them to, to think of it more as speculation than investing. Um, I mean, some people have done really well on it, but, you know, it is very volatile and, you know, you have to be careful if you're, you know, using funds that are, you know, something that you'd want to use for something important. I, I feel like uh, overnight, uh, everyone started talking about NFTs. Um, yeah. Just for our <laughs> listeners who may not know, uh, could you, uh, I guess, give a, a, a very brief, like, high-level, uh, like, I guess, explanation, if you could, like, about what a non-fungible uh, token is? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. not. <laughs> it's very, very complicated. But essentially, what they're doing is they're using blockchain technology to um, essentially limit certain types of, of pieces of art. So a big example of that is like if you have a graphic designer that wants to sell pieces of their art. So in the past, you know, you could just do like a Google search, cut and paste, and it's yours, right? It's so easy to like do that kind of stuff with, with technology. Um, but with the NFTs, what happens is that only so many copies of this piece of art can, can actually be issued. And it's limited to how many units that I guess it's designed to be sold at. So, you know, if they just want to sell one, they could. If they want to have a couple hundred, they could. Uh, it's up to the person uh, that, that's doing it. And I mean, this is great for, for artists because, you know, it allows graphic designers to actually to, to sell their artwork and to, you know, not have to worry about, you know, everyone just cutting and pasting it if it's cool. Um, yeah, it's 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 really cool technology. Um, some people say that you know it could be a bubble. <laughs> I don't know, but either way, like it's I think it's it's incredible. Uh, I don't even know how we continue starting to talk about NFT so much. But <laughs> um, <laughs> back to personal finance. What are like uh, we've talked about so many places that people can learn more. Uh, what are some resources you would recommend for someone who is just starting to learn about their personal finances? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there is quite a bit out there. So usually what I recommend is actually start by looking at like official um, resources like government pages and stuff like that. Uh, for example, there's a really good program that was launched by the Ontario Securities Commission called Get Smart About Money. So they have a lot of information that's available. Also, if you're looking towards, you know, achieving specific financial goals or trying to pick up certain types of information, you could also, you know, search on government sources uh, for that. Um, for example, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, 
um, has an extensive library that's available for individuals that are looking at buying a, a new property. They have guides, tools, calculators that you can use for free, um, which are extremely helpful. And you know, if anyone's ever trying to, to learn about taxes, you could always just Google CRA and whatever question you have and something will pop up. Um, beyond that, there's so much information out there, like magazines are fantastic resources. Um, also, you know, podcasts are great, you know, obviously <laughs> slightly plugging myself, um, but there are a lot of other really good Canadian podcasters out there. Um, and I'm friends with a lot of them too. Um, Jessica Morehouse and Bo Humphreys come to mind. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot that's out there. Um, Money Sense is also a good source too, to, to get information from. They've been around for, for a very long time. Awesome. Uh, thanks for uh, letting us know about that. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners, um, the majority of our listeners is between the ages of 18 and 24. For those who are personal finance beginners, uh, who don't do their taxes, who are scared to look at their bank accounts, uh, what would you say to them and like, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I mean, I would start by saying that, you know, how you're feeling is is absolutely valid. Finances can be a very, very intimidating topic. And it's also emotionally charged as well. Like there are books written on that topic, you know, just how, you know, we kind of are emotionally connected to money in, in weird ways. So, you know, the way that you're feeling is definitely you know, it is definitely real and, you know, we, we sympathize with it. And, you know, the, the important thing to, to remember beyond that is that it will get easier the more that you do it. And over time, you'll develop these very valuable skills, which, you know, you'll be able to employ yourself. And also you'll be able to share them with other people around you. So not only will you be able to help yourself, you'll be able to help the people around you. Um, you know, perfect example of helping people around you is like when it comes to income taxes, like I find very often when people are, you know, familiar with the different types of, you know, tax credits and tax deductions, which are like the biggest ways to for most people to save on their taxes, like they'll start just randomly recommending them towards their friends because they're like, hey, you'll save here. Hey, you'll save there. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like there's a lot of benefit that can come out of it. And, uh, you know, it's it's a gradual process. And, you know, I would also say to you know, when you jump into it, you can look at a way to make it more enjoyable. One of the ways that that I always like hearing is that people kind of turn it into a date with themselves where they'll be like, okay, like I'm going to look at this, but I'm also going to order myself a nice meal, maybe a bottle of wine, not going to drink too much where you can't do that. But just to, you know, just to make it so it's more fun, right? Instead of just being like, okay, and now I look at my numbers. (laughs) I think that's a. I, I think that's great advice. Um, but the, I think that 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 statement is such a, a sound so sad a day with myself. But no, I think <laughs> it's. It, I think it's uh, great advice. But I, it just sounded funny. <laughs> I guess, and also for someone who, let's say, you know, has an average knowledge of their own personal finance and. What would you say uh, to them, and what advice do you have for them to keep? deepening their understanding yeah so you know as i've talked about a lot already is you know keep an eye always on your financial goals and preferences always keep an eye on that and look for ways that can help you get towards where you want to be and then you know start investigating those pathways further also you know don't feel scared to learn new information and you know if you can 
you know, put yourself in a vulnerable situation to, you know, to kind of to kind of learn that stuff. Like, you know, for example, if you're doing your own income taxes and you're flipping through it, you're like, hey, I remember that that guy in that podcast said that I should look into tax credits and deductions. You know, maybe I should look a little bit more into that. Uh, you know, don't don't feel scared to, to dive into that and see what kind of other stuff can be there, because there is a lot that's out there. And, you know, it's it's a continual process where you're always learning stuff like even myself, I'm always learning stuff and, you know, things change fairly frequently. So, you know, just kind of enjoy the journey and, you know, try to pick up as much information as you can along the way. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Matthew. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. It's been so much fun. Where can our listeners uh, find your podcast and where can they uh, find uh, the Friendly Financial Coach for uh, your services? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a website. It's uh, ffcoach.ca. And for my podcast, you could just search for Simple Money Podcast. It's the one with the piggy bank. And uh, I believe there's a little Canadian uh, Maple Leaf logo on it, too, if I recall correctly. It's been a while since I've looked at my own logo. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like it. It's a good logo. (laughs) Wherever you are listening, remember to follow us or subscribe, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts, to be notified of the latest episodes. Also, it really helps our podcast. If you think there's a guest that you would like us to interview or you yourself would like to be on our podcast, send us an email at postacodechronicles at gmail.com. You can also keep up with the latest PCC news by following us on Instagram or Twitter. Postacode Chronicles is hosted and produced by me, Matt Falk. Alice Coombs was the co-producer for this episode. Our staff also includes Kasun Medegadara and Russell Slav Seroka. Our main theme song is called Last Energy for the Day by Loyalty Freak Music. And there are other music credits on our website. Thank you for listening. See you next time.